chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So what a scene. Jesus is walking along with his disciples. It's, it's the Sabbath day. They're hungry, so they pick some grain and eat it. And you're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. That's considered work. So the Pharisees, they see them doing that and accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And while you are a false prophet, a terrible person, you're breaking God's law. And Jesus just shows them how arrogant they are, how blind they are. Shows them that he is so much greater than the law. Jesus actually is the fulfillment of the law. He is the substance. The law was just the shadow. And uh, he is the substance and the fulfillment. These Pharisees, they are running after the, the, the shadow. They're celebrating the shadow. They're trying to fulfill the shadow. And Jesus is saying, all of that was just to point to me. You know, you, you obsessed about the Sabbath. I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And he, he says, what about David? You know, they loved David. They considered him a great king. He said, even David went into the temple and he ate the bread of the presence. So he, he like defiled the temple. He wasn't supposed to do that. Only the priests are allowed to do that. And yet David, he did that. And, and then Jesus says, the priests, even they defile the Sabbath because they work in the temple on the Sabbath day. And he says, but yet they're guiltless. They, they don't have guilt. So they're breaking the Sabbath, but they don't have guilt um, because they, they, they're working in the temple. But then Jesus says, but something greater than the temple is here, which is he's referring to himself. He's referring to the new covenant, the new way into the presence of God. And the new way in is through his body. Uh, Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rebuild it. He was speaking about his body. And Jesus said, you need to eat of my flesh because my body is, is bread that comes down from heaven. His, his body is, is the bread of the presence. It's the way into the presence of God. His body is the temple. It's greater than that old covenant uh, temple. And then he says, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. God's desire is not the old covenant testament sacrificial system. God is not impressed by law keeping and sacrifices. That's not God's desire. And yet the Pharisees are running after those things. They're trying to observe it religiously. And they're actually missing the whole point. It was never God's point. And if they had understood that God wants to bring grace to the nations, he wants to bring mercy to the nations. He's not 
wanting this whole sacrificial temple system. He wants to offer Christ on the cross so that all nations can be blessed and so that he can give mercy. And if these Pharisees, they understood that, they would not have condemned Jesus and, and they would have not condemned the disciples. And he actually says the guiltless. So he's saying, I'm, I'm not guilty of breaking the Sabbath. He says, because I'm Lord of the Sabbath, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He was claiming to be the Christ, the, the Messiah, and he's saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the shadow, the law, the, the, the temple system. That's all the shadow, but I am the fulfillment and the substance of those things. But you are so caught up with sacrifice, you don't understand the grace and the mercy of God. If you did, you wouldn't have condemned me, the guiltless. Basically, they are so blinded by their, their works religion and their law keeping, which actually was supposed to point towards Christ and reveal the fulfillment of the law of the law. And part of the law was the Sabbath. And Jesus actually was the fulfillment of the Sabbath. He was the day of rest, not just the day of rest. He was a life of rest. You enter into rest. He was grace where you cease from works. And yet they still so caught up. And because of their blindedness, the, the Lord of the Sabbath was walking amongst them and they couldn't even see it. But if they understood that God wants to bring mercy. See, they didn't understand mercy. All they understood was, no, you've got to sacrifice. You've got to keep the law, judgment, consequences, blessing and curse. They, they don't understand mercy. If they understood grace and mercy, then, then they would not have condemned Jesus, who was the Lord of the Sabbath. And, and he didn't have any guilt. He, for breaking the Sabbath, he was the Sabbath. Verse 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. It's like he went with them to synagogue. Okay, you've been accusing me. Come, it's, it's time to go to synagogue. I'm going to teach you a few things. Verse 10, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? What a, what a question to ask Jesus. I mean, they probably... They can see the man with the withered hand. They can see Jesus and they're thinking, oh, great. I bet you he's going to heal him again. You know, Jesus is going to heal him. We're all going to look like idiots and Jesus is going to look like this amazing, great savior. And all the people are going to want to follow Jesus and they're not going to want to follow us. And man, we've got to stop this. We've got to put a stop to this. Let's catch him out. Let's, you know, it's amazing. Like here was Jesus, the son of God, doing these incredible miracles and healings. And they, sh the Pharisees, they should have been in awe and amazed and following after Jesus. And yet they weren't. They were resisting him. They were fighting him at every step. And here now they were trying to catch him out. They wanted to accuse him. They, if, if he did a miracle on the Sabbath, then they thought, oh, he's broken the Sabbath. We can accuse him. And so they, they asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Verse 11, he said to them, which one of you, this is Jesus says to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And so basically he just, he exposed their own hypocrisy that if they've got a sheep and it falls into a pit, of course they're going to bring that sheep out of the pit. They're not going to leave it suffering down there. They'll bring it out, but that's considered work and that would be breaking the Sabbath. And so he's saying, how much more invaluable is a human being than a sheep? And so if it is the Sabbath of, of yes, it is better. It is more lawful to heal them on the Sabbath. 
It's like they were missing the whole point of the Sabbath. They were just seeing the legalistic thing. But actually the Sabbath was a shadow of Christ because it's rest. It's a day. It's a shadow of grace. The six days where they were allowed to work. That's like the law. They had to work. But on the Sabbath, they weren't allowed to work. They had to rest. And that's symbolic of grace because in grace, it's not by work. It's, it's simply by not working and entering into rest. It's a day of rest. So it's symbolic of grace and it's symbolic of Christ. And Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. And, and in grace, in Christ, there is healing. And so, yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath is about. It's about rest, salvation, healing, forgiveness, all these things. And the Pharisees couldn't even see that because they were so caught up and obsessed with their own works and self-righteousness. And it was just disgusting, absolutely disgusting. And Jesus, he came into their synagogue to expose them in front of all the followers. And here's this man with a withered hand that the Pharisees didn't want him to heal. And Jesus, he just loved them and he wanted to heal them. And, you, and I'm sure all the people in the synagogue were like, please heal him, please heal him. Except for the religious Pharisees. They were trying to set him up. And then verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand and the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other what an incredible miracle right in front of people's eyes i mean where have you ever seen this before in all of israel other than when christ came these these were phenomenal things that were taking place and yet the pharisees still listen look at how they reacted but the pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Is that not evil hearts? Here this man was healed supernaturally by the son of, by, by Jesus. And, and instead of giving glory to God and worshiping God, they went out and conspired how to kill him, how to destroy him. And it, it just shows you how much they were operating by Satan, by the devil. He was behind the Pharisees and the devil is behind religion because he wants to get people's eyes off Jesus and onto their own works and self-righteousness and the flesh. And religion wants to get people obsessed with the shadow and worshiping the shadow and following the shadow rather than the substance, which is Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And in him, there is healing, salvation, and there is rest. I just love the fact that he healed this man. In fact, in different gospels, it says Jesus was angry at the Pharisees. He was angry at their unbelief because they did not believe. And, and in his anger, then he turned to the man and said, stretch out your hand. It's so awesome. Jesus did like an angry miracle, um, but it was, it was just like a righteous indignation. And so it was wonderful. The man got healed. I'm sure people in the synagogue were like, wow, we're so confused. Do we follow the Pharisees or do we follow Jesus? <laughs> And uh, many were turning to Jesus because being a part of synagogue was actually equal to salvation. It's like the Pharisees were so controlling that um, people had to be a part of synagogue and listen to the Pharisees and obey the Pharisees. And if the Pharisees didn't think you were obeying properly and didn't like you, they would excommunicate you. They would kick you out of synagogue. And that was equivalent to losing salvation, being lost, going to hell. And so people were afraid. And they, they didn't want to be kicked out of synagogue. And so they were followed the Pharisees. They had to obey the teachings of the Pharisees. They were their teachers, their leaders, their guides. And Jesus in, in the synagogue, 
he came and showed them these Pharisees, they're hypocrites. They don't care about you. They don't know God. I am the Messiah, the Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Look at me. I healed this man. And it's now repent and, and follow after me. And the Pharisees, they hated that because they were losing control. They were going to lose the people. The people would follow after Jesus and they didn't want to lose that control. And so they conspired how to kill and destroy Jesus. Amazing. Verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. I just love the fact the Bible says he healed them all. So wonderful. Verse 16, and ordered them not to make him known. So this was Jesus sort of transitioning from a very public ministry and his fame was growing. But with that opposition, persecution was growing, the hatred of the Pharisees. Um, they Now they were plotting and scheming how to uh, kill him and destroy him. So he actually transitioned his ministry from public ministry to more of a private ministry. And so you see many times he was telling people that got healed, don't go and tell everyone about it. Um, just keep it to yourself. Keep it a secret and don't go and make it all public. And so he would go from town to town and he would still be speaking and preaching, but he was doing it more in a private way until it was his time to die. And so we see in his last week when he comes into Jerusalem, then everything is, is very public from there. And, and he takes on the Pharisees, rebukes them. And it doesn't matter because um, it was his time to die, to be crucified. So, but until then, he just had to keep things uh, a little bit more private. So he healed all these people and he told them not to go and tell everyone. And then it says, verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is so is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. And so this prophecy just confirms what Jesus was doing, that he is the Christ. He was healing all the sick, anointed by God. He was caring for people and, um, you know, a, a bruised reed he will not break or um, smoldering wick, he'll not stuff out, snuff out. That's just his care for people that have been abused by religion, abused by their leaders. And he cares about them and he's going to bring justice, bring justice to victory. And through even through him, all the nations, the Gentiles, will put their hope. Verse 22, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. Wow, blind and mute. He healed him, he spoke and he saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? See, they're still asking the question, can this be the... And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, how long is it going to take you to finally realize it? Like, who else have you seen doing these things? I'm saying that I am the Messiah. I'm saying I'm the son of David. I'm saying I'm the son of God, the son of man. It's like, how long is it going to take you to agree with it and believe and repent and turn and believe. But at least they were asking the question. They were, they were getting closer and closer. Many believed, many weren't sure, and many also rejected it. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, 
that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So here the Pharisees, they're in some damage control. Again, here Jesus has done a mighty miracle. The crowds are amazed. They're starting to think, is this the son of David? And so the Pharisees are thinking, oh no, we're losing the crowd. They're going to go follow Jesus. We're going to lose some more. And so they're in damage control and they say, oh, quick, let's think of something. Ah, I know what. He's not driving out demons by God. It's from the devil. He's using Beelzebub, Satan, to drive out demons. And, you know, they were uh, Israel's teachers. They were the ones that had the authoritative voice. What they said goes. And so they said it's so matter of a fact. No, it's, it's by Beelzebub that he's driving out demons. So don't follow him because he's a false prophet. Uh, he's not from God. And Jesus just marvels. He says, this is so ridiculous. He says, so if I'm driving the demons out by Beelzebub, then who are you driving them out by? Who are your sons? Who are all your disciples? Who are they driving the demons out by? And the reality is they're not driving any demons out. <laughs> no one was driving demons out of anybody, anywhere. The, the only place this was taking place was through the life of Christ, which was an endorsement that he was the Messiah, that he was the son of David. And he says, if Satan is driving Satan out, then he's divided against himself. You know, this man was oppressed by demons and all of a sudden Satan's coming and he's driving demons out. Then that's a divided house. Jesus said any house divided is going to fall. Basically, Satan is not doing that and it's not Satan doing it through him. Um, he's saying this is the spirit of God. He sets the record straight. No, if, if I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. This is the spirit of God that is doing that. And this is an endorsement that he is the son of God, the anointed one of God. The spirit is upon him. He's been anointed to do this, to set the captives free, to proclaim liberty. And they just refuse to recognize it. And then in verse 29, Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So what does Jesus mean by that? Well, the strong man, I believe he's speaking about the devil. Um, in, in this context uh, is the devil. And the devil's been stealing from people. He's still stolen their health, their well-being. And um, in order to go and take those things back, you've got to bind the strong man. And Jesus, he has the power and authority to bind the strong man and to release the captives, take back what has been stolen. So the devil, the strong man that had been oppressing this man and taken away his eyesight, his speech or his, his hearing um, and oppressed him. Jesus just came and he bound the devil and he rebuked him and commanded him to go and he restored that man, the plunder, he took it back. The healing and what the devil had stolen from that man, he took it back. And Jesus has the power to do this. Power of the Spirit. No one else in Israel had the power to do this. And so Israel was being oppressed and ravaged by the devil. Being abused 
by the devil. And it was actually coming through the Pharisees. He was operating through the Pharisees. And there was no one that was delivering Israel. And then Jesus came, the deliverer, the savior. And he bound the strong man. And he, he was taking back what the devil had stolen. And he was restoring it to people and restoring it to Israel. And here the Pharisees were upset about that. And they were saying, no, it's the devil uh, doing it. He's driving it. Jesus, he's using the devil to drive out demons. That's like the strong man binding himself so that he can rob himself. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. No, Jesus is from the spirit of God, operating by the power of God, binding Satan and releasing the captives because he is the savior and the deliverer. He's the son of David, the one who was promised to come. Verse 30, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And he's talking about the Pharisees. They're against him. They're not with him. They're not gathering with him. They're scattering. 31, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the one to come. And so this is probably one of the most abused scriptures in the whole Bible. People have used it and applied it to believers and have said, you know, don't you dare blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Because if you do, that's it. You lose your salvation. You can never be forgiven. and You're lost for all eternity. And that's absolutely not what Jesus is saying. And if you believe that stuff, I tell you, it can bring real mental illness to you. I've had so many people with mental illness that believe that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They're not sure if they're saved. They feel like they're not. They don't feel like they can be saved. And they're in absolute torment and mental instability. And I have to um, speak the grace of God to them and put help put scripture in context for them to understand. So in this context, it was the Pharisees who were blaspheming the Spirit. Jesus was operating by the Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that he was driving out demons. And yet the Pharisees were accusing um, the spirit of doing the devil's work or being the devil. And that's blasphemy against the spirit. And really what they were doing, the Pharisees, is they were rejecting the spirit, the work of the spirit. And we know that it's the work of the spirit that draws people to Christ. It, the spirit opens people's eyes to see, to see Jesus and to receive him as Lord and Savior. And you cannot be saved unless the spirit of God draws you, unless the spirit of God convicts you and shows you that you're a sinner and lost and not right with God um, and, and need a savior and reach out for the savior. But if you're blaspheming the spirit, if, if you're saying, no, it's not the spirit, it's the devil, it's, I, don't, I don't believe it, and you're rejecting the spirit, then you can't be saved. You know, you, it's impossible for you to be saved if you reject the work of the spirit. And so you can speak words against Jesus and words against God, but if you reject speak words against the spirit the spirit is the one who draws you to jesus so that you can be saved and uh, if you reject the spirit of god then you'll reject christ and you'll never be saved and that's that's what jesus is saying here the pharisees were doing that they were rejecting the spirit they were saying it's from the devil and therefore they were rejecting christ as well and they 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 weren't going to be saved but the reality is if anyone receives the spirit recognizes the work of the spirit and, and, and therefore receives Jesus because the Spirit is the one who draws us to Christ. And those that, that uh, receive the Spirit, the Spirit's work in their life, and they received Christ, 
they're the ones who are going to be forgiven and they're going to be saved. And so if you have received Christ through the work of the Spirit, then you haven't blasphemed the Spirit. Okay, and you don't have to worry about it. You, you can't blaspheme the Spirit now. now. You might say something silly about the Holy Spirit because you get deceived and some, someone told you that, oh, don't trust the Holy Spirit. Oh, if someone laughs in church, that's the devil. You know, you start believing some nonsense like that. You know, you might say something that's false about the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean you blaspheme the Spirit. Okay, blaspheming the Spirit is rejecting the work of God in your life to draw you to the Savior. And that's what these Pharisees were doing. They were rejecting God's spirit and work in their life to draw people to the Savior. And, and because of that, they were never going to be forgiven. Not in this life, not in the one to come. It's, okay. So if you accept the work of the spirit in your life, that's drawing you to Jesus. You realize I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need a Savior. Jesus is a Savior. You put your faith in Jesus. That's it. You haven't blasphemed the Spirit. You can never blaspheme the Spirit. Be free. Don't worry about it. You are in grace. You are in the Spirit. And um, you are saved. So you don't have to worry about that. So it's important to put the Scriptures in context. Jesus wasn't talking to the church or to believers. He's saying, oh, careful that you don't blaspheme the Spirit. He wasn't doing that. He was speaking to the religious people, to the Pharisees who were rejecting the Holy Spirit uh, the work of God, the work of the Spirit in drawing people to Christ. And, and so really he's, he's speaking to anyone who rejects the work of the Holy Spirit to lead people to Christ. Because if you reject him, you can never receive Christ and never be saved. And really that is blasphemy of the Spirit. That is the scripture in context. So be careful that you don't hear it out of context or that you take it out of context uh, when you're speaking it to other people. Verse 33 Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He's speaking to the Pharisees here and, uh, and also in front of all the people. He's saying you, you'll be able to recognize people by their fruit. Okay, If there's bad fruit, the tree's bad. Okay, If there's good fruit, the tree's good. Even if you don't think the tree is a good tree, if the fruit's good, it means it's a good tree. Okay, And if, and if the fruit is bad... It means it's a bad tree. And, and these Pharisees, they acting like they're so good, but it's bad fruit that's coming from their life. So stop being deceived by, by these Pharisees. And then verse 34, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? I mean, Jesus isn't holding back here. Like this, is, this isn't Je gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is warrior Jesus. This is lion of the tribe of Judah Jesus. He's roaring and showing his teeth and his claws. And I love it. And he's doing it on behalf of Israel to help them see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and to, to break them out of the deception of, of works and trusting in religion and to break them out so that they will receive him as Christ, as Messiah and put their faith in him. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good person out of the good treasures brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasures brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So again, this is a context He's not saying that, you know, careful what you say in this life. Uh, 
because if you say the wrong thing, you could go to hell. And if you say the right things, then that's how you enter into heaven. No, we're saved through faith in Jesus. That's it. Okay, not not by the words we say, but he's saying that these religious Pharisees and the lies that they are telling, the bad fruits, the bad words that, that they are speaking, they're going to be held accountable one day. He's saying you think you're getting away with it now. This deception that you you conning people with. Um, in Israel, you're controlling people with this deception. You know that your hearts are corrupt. You know I'm the Messiah and you should receive me. And yet you reject me because you're afraid of losing control of the people and you're keeping them under oppression. But I'm telling you now, you think you're getting away with it, but you're not. One day you're going to be held to account and every word you've spoken, every careless, lying word you've spoken is going to be judged by God. Pretty intense. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Oh, you just, these are just scaly, horrible people. It's like, wow, man, he's just been doing miracles. You've just seen the demons come out. You've seen the, the guy's arm stretch out. You've, you've seen blind eyes opening. And now you're asking for a sign. Really? Really? I don't think so. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, Someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus, he's condemning these Pharisees for not believing. They should have believed. Now they're wanting a sign, saying an unbelieving, adulterous generation asked for a sign. Said, you're not going to get a sign. The only thing you're going to get is me being crucified and dying and then raising up on the third day again. It'll be like the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that's the only sign that you're going to get. And you should repent. I'm preaching to you. Uh, and you should repent. He said, even Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. He's saying, Nineveh that repented on the day of judgment, they will rise up and condemn this generation of Israel that's refusing to receive Christ the Messiah, that, that's rejecting Christ and not coming in. Like even Nineveh, that generation of Nineveh will condemn this generation because they had faith and repented and turned to God. But this generation of Jewish people that are rejecting Christ and unbelief, they're going to be condemned on that day by Nineveh. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. So Nineveh, uh, queen of Sheba, they heard the message and their hearts were changed and they believed. And Jesus comparing them to the current generation that's hearing the message, but they're not believing. Jesus is saying you should be believing because someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Solomon is here. It's me, the Christ. And, and, and you should especially be believing my message and turning and believing. But they're not. And so this very generation is going to be condemned by Queen of Sheba and by Nineveh. Verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house 
from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Wow, man, Jesus, he's just not holding back at all. He's really just unloading on, on this generation. And it's again, it's not the sinners that were following him. It's not all of Israel. It's, it's those that were stubborn in their unbelief, that were refusing to receive him as Messiah. He was, he was rebuking them. And so what is he saying about, you know, the demon being cast out and then the house being cleaned um, and then the demon will come back to a clean house? I believe he's talking about Israel, that his ministry going throughout Israel, he's cleaning the house of Israel and he's driving out the demons and he's, he's bringing truth. But unless Israel would fill their hearts with Christ, unless they would fill the house, if, if they don't fill the house, their hearts with Christ, then the demons are going to come back and it's going to be even worse. They're going to open themselves up to even more demonic unbelief. And, and that's what Jesus said. So it is with this evil generation. If they continue to reject Christ, it's going to be even worse off for them. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. I don't believe Jesus was trying to dishonor his mother and his brothers, um, but he was trying to send a very strong point to people that um, you, we're not a part of the same family unless we do the same will. And that's the will of the Father. And what is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to believe on the Son, is to believe on Jesus. And everyone who believes on Jesus is his brothers and his sisters and his mothers. And so even though he's in Israel and he's amongst the children of Israel, the children of Abraham that, sh that belong to God, he's saying, you don't, you're not actually my brother and my sister. You're not actually a part of this family, the family of God, unless you do the will of the Father, which is to believe and it's to receive. And he speaks this just after he's, there's been a whole lot of, you know, situations here where people are rejecting him. They're accusing him of being from the devil. And so all those people are not his mother and his brother, are not part of his family. It's only those who receive him as Lord and Savior. And that is they do in the will of the Father, which is to believe on Jesus and receive him. And that's who Jesus says is his mother and his brother and his sisters. Hey, this is Ryan Rufus, and I hope you enjoyed this last chapter. Could I ask, if you've been blessed by the Grace Bible Commentary, would you consider making a donation to New Nature Ministries to help support the ongoing work of the Grace Bible Commentary? That would be greatly appreciated. To do that, simply go to newnatureministries.org. Thank you and God bless.